This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It feels like there's a need for safe spaces to grieve because, like you say, the culture of moving on can be very toxic too, right? The culture of just get over it. The culture of like, why are you so weak, right? And I think not having that safe space where you can actually just lament or even sound pathetic, right? It's actually very valuable. Exactly. And sometimes people feel like, you know, I've been talking so much to my family members and friends about, you know, the deceased and who I've lost. And I think they're getting sick of it, this and that. But, you know, when when people are grieving, sometimes they do feel the need to talk about the person that they've lost. BFM 89.9, you're listening to me, Ahmad Fouad Rahmat, on Night School. Joining us this week is Yvonne Fu of Help University and also the uh, Existential Humanistic Psychology Association in Malaysia or the Circle. Or what's the, what's the group called? Like organisation? I mean, or is it just like a loose network of people? Yeah, it's, uh, as of now, it's just a loose network of people who yeah. are interested in existential humanistic psychology in Malaysia. Okay. So we just created a Facebook group okay. since we had a conference two years ago. Uh, mm. We realized that there is a group of people in Malaysia who are interested in uh, this approach to psychology. So mm. we just kept the Facebook page running and uh, now it's used to promote our conference. Wonderful. And yeah. the conference is coming up soon, the 21st of July and the 22nd. That's a Saturday and Sunday. And the topic is, very interestingly, let's grieve, trauma, loss and growth. Now, why this topic this time around? <laughs> well, to start with, I did not actually decide on the topic. So this is actually a collaboration between some interested parties in Taiwan and Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So... There are two leagues of this conference. The first league is actually going to be in Taiwan. Mm. So the speakers, they'll go to Taiwan and then after that, they come to Malaysia. So this theme or this topic was actually kind of decided by a few friends and myself as well. Uh, we decided that, okay, last time we were talking about authenticity. This time, maybe we'll talk about something around the topic of grief. Well, yeah, I don't really remember how we came up with the topic, but I just realized that perhaps in recent years, we've seen a lot of things going on around as well. You know, MH370, right. you know, shootings in... Uh, yeah, yeah, MH17, um, the shootings in the US, because yeah. some of my friends who be coming to the conference, they from the States as well. So right, we decided right. it's a good time to talk about grief. There's something to be said about how modernity itself is an era of grief, right? Because what defines modernity? Change. Mobility, right? Mm-hmm. Migration, yeah, and uh, self-transformation, right? All those things tend to be talked about in a positive way, mm-hmm. right? That look at me, look at all these identities I'm juggling, look at all these jobs I'm having. By the time I'm forty, blah blah blah. But the truth is, with all those changes, there's also letting go that sometimes isn't articulated, mm-hmm. right? And what belies the sort of triumphance or the optimism of that sort of you know rapidity of modern life is that we're constantly negotiating the past and the future. Right? Mm-hmm. And then there's always, it's not always like cheerful. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I think uh, it's good. And that's why when I saw the title, I said, hey, this is quite good. And, and there's mm-hmm. so many, how would you say, broader social and historical or transpersonal 
implications to grieving, right? So sometimes we tend to think of grief as this inward individual thing when yeah. it's about relationships, basically. Definitely. I think that's such a insightful comment from you because I think a lot of people, when we talk about grief and loss, the first thing that comes to our mind is death. Mm-hmm. But we actually know that grief and loss doesn't only exist in death. There are a lot of things that we grieve for, like, you know, the loss of relationship. Mm-hmm. Like you said, even transitioning from the undergrad to the working, yeah, yeah. you know, life, that itself, the transition uh, mark a number of losses as well. And people do grieve those moments. Yeah. Even as simple as your favorite cafe closing down. <laughs> you know. yeah. So people feel like, you know, because we look at these kind of losses from a very surface level sometimes, we forget to look at the underlying meaning in, under these losses. Like the closing down of a favorite cafe is not just as simple as, hey, you don't get to go to the place anymore. Yeah. But the meaning that's associated with the cafe and the memories that, you know, those times you spend there, those were the things that were not accounted for. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of disenfranchised grief when it comes to these kind of things like the breakups mm-hmm. and transitioning, the loss of identity, the loss of innocence. And sometimes people say, you know, what's this? You know, not like anybody has died. Why are you grieving? Quote, unquote, get over it or something. Exactly. And that makes people feel so ashamed to talk about these things. It's interesting that you mentioned relationships because I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like the traditional notion of quote unquote, the couple or the pair mm-hmm. is being constantly challenged nowadays, right? With technology, mm-hmm. with the pace of modern life where divorces are becoming more frequent, right? rightly or wrongly, right? That's a separate discussion, but yeah. it happens. Uh, more and more people have half-siblings, step-siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Because the notion of the nuclear family unit is constantly being challenged mm-hmm. just because of how precarious modern life is or just how fast things change and how people change. So the person you marry will not be the same person five years ago, right? Just because of how we're socialized in this world where rapid transformations happen, right? And that's, like we said earlier, a social thing, but also a personal thing. Which brings me to the question of therapy and psychology, which has a remedial aspect, right? So let me start with this basic question. (laughs) Can we get better at grieving? Is that something we can improve on? Well, <laughs> well with, with counselling, you know, psychotherapy, I think certainly it helps in certain ways with our, you know, grieving process. Like I say, I'm not sure that it's such a thing as moving on and mm. get over it because I think sometimes we tend to pathologize grief or mm-hmm. feel like, you know, there should be a certain period that I should grieve and beyond that, that's, of course, there are certain, you know, from the clinical psychologist's perspective, there should be such a long period of time that you should grieve and anything that's longer than that is um, is just known as complicated grief or they even wanted to put in or the DSM. Or disorder or something. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a person grief disorder or something like that. So do we get better at grieving? I don't know. It depends on what you mean by better. Because does getting better at grieving meaning you don't feel so sad anymore Mm. when you think about the person I mean the first few months after the loss happens is what we call the acute grief which normally the emotion is more intense we do you know feel very sad thinking about the person and over time the intensity tends to kind of reduce Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that we stop thinking or we stop feeling sad just of you know 
sometimes even walking past certain places, smelling certain scents, would just bring a person back to certain moments of the mood and feeling sad. So, so when we say getting better grieving, I'm not sure what's the definition of getting better. Does that mean that we feel less intense? Perhaps, you know, over time, mm-hmm. the intensity would, you know, reduce. But what is more common is that we kind of grow around grief. Right. Our life probably becomes bigger. We incorporate, we have more relationships. We start to accept more people in our life. So we kind of grow around it. So maybe that's what's going to happen. Not that we just move on or let go, but we kind of grow around it. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, right? Because I think what turns people off from it is that, like you said, it is sad. Right, but I think the other point that you bring up is that it is sad because it highlights your bonds or oh, the bonds yeah. that you used to have, the kind of bonds you want to have. Right, yeah. it's it's an attitude of care that you're already always navigating with. Right, and so on one hand, it's not a good feeling, especially if you're socialized in a context where the goal is to always be cheerful. Right? Oh yeah, but yeah. Um, in a way, letting that quote unquote sadness happen it kind of honours the connections, right? And that, to me, is an interesting opening to have, like the, like you said, growing around it. Mm-hmm. And you start meditating on why is it that this means so much? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that in losing another person, you also lose a part of yourself, right? And that opening is an interesting invitation to reflect that otherwise the normal everyday pace of things would not allow for. Yeah. And you're right, especially in terms of feeling the sadness. I think sometimes we have like a certain idea in our mind, like a certain presupposition, like, um, okay, you're not supposed to feel so sad anymore after such a such period of time. But, you know, from an existential perspective, and I always look at it as, what does the sadness mean to the person mm. in this whole journey? Maybe, you know, it's not so much about not feeling sad, but finding the meaning in that sadness. And you know, Victor Frankl did say that, it is when the suffering is without meaning that it turns to despair. But mm-hmm. when we find meaning in the suffering, then it ceases to be a despair. It's, 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 so it kind of transcends the despair. So, for example, I have clients who came in and she wanted to talk about her loss over a relationship. She was grieving. So when we're talking about it, we realized that, yeah, she feels very sad about it, but... There's also a reason why she couldn't quite let go of the sadness because to her, that sadness means that she still could feel something for this relationship, for this person. And that's one way of her reminding herself that this relationship exists at least before this. And if she doesn't allow herself to feel the sadness, it just feels like everything was not there anymore. So... I respect that, you know, yeah. her need to feel that sadness to grieve for the relationship. And we talk about what that sadness means to her and we talk about the kind of questions that underline that loss, like her questioning, you know, about her worth, about why do we have relationship at all when it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And all these kind of questions underlie the sadness, which I think a lot of times we just kind of brush it away and say, you know, oh, you know, what's always over there's uh, what you call a jungle outside where you focus on the tree, things like that, and just, right, you know, right. and quite really undermine that power of or the importance of the emotions. Yeah. I have to bring out a clinical question in that 
I'm fully in agreement with you because I think everybody works through their own timing. Yeah. But the clinical aspect also has an urgency to mm-hmm. it, right? In that at some point it becomes chronic. Mm-hmm. Right? At some point it becomes depression. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how the existential humanist approach would treat the quote-unquote urgency. Mm-hmm. But tell us a bit about that. Like, mm-hmm. where is the line between the necessary room for grief mm-hmm. and it becoming all-out depression? So if we refer strictly to the DSM, um, previously the dsm for tr when we look at the major depressive disorder, there is this rule that says there's a bereavement exclusion, meaning if a person is currently going through grief, within that two months period after a loss, typically don't diagnose a person with MDD, major depressive disorder, but uh, in DSM-5, that bereavement exclusion kind of got kind of taken away because they feel that, okay, true enough, you have certain symptoms that are very similar between grieving and depression. But for people who are depressed, the way that they grieve is a lot more intense. Mm. And so they feel that even though you're going through grief, it doesn't automatically exclude you from being diagnosed as having depression. Mm -hmm. So now that bereavement exclusion is not there anymore. Right. right. So typically, you know, about the acute grief period is said to be about a few months, about six months. Mm -hmm. If it's more than that, usually they call it more like a, you know, so they expect that after the six months, that intensity should slowly maybe become lesser. You still feel sad, you still think of the person, you still yearn for the person, but typically the acute period is the few months, first few right. months. Right. And I think there are different indications as well, like how functional you are, right? Can you still socialize? Can you still form new relationships? Sometimes like yeah. the grief is so bad that no one else can come in, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The numbness, you know, feeling like you can't feel anything anymore, that's actually something that's very, very common. Mm-hmm in grief the thing is um, we know traditionally Kubler-Ross says that there's five stages of grief mm-hmm. and we, we we're so familiar with these five stages right, right? The, can you just uh, recount them for our listeners the first uh, one is the denial and then the um, anger bargaining depression and acceptance so a lot of people think of grieving as going through these five stages right. but recent years psychologists have done a lot of research and they, as they listen more to the story of grief, they realize that, and even Kubler-Ross herself said that, mm. that I'm not actually proposing five stages of grief where you have to go through one after another. I'm saying that these are five common human experience, common experience that you will go through in grieving. So that sometimes makes, you know, the idea that I have to go through the five stages sometimes makes people feel like, oh, how come I'm still in denial stage? How come right, I haven't come right. to the acceptance stage? They but get impatient with Impatient, and yeah. they kind of blame themselves. How come I haven't moved on? But it's not like one after another. It's that in grieving, these five different um, experiences would usually occur, mm-hmm. not necessarily in that order. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that's an interesting question for me as to like how long grieving takes, you know, because I think that's a virtue in wanting to move on to, in a way, because grieving can slide into a certain kind of like obsession or like certain attitude of possession when quote unquote people are not 
to be possessed to begin with, right? We're possessing quote-unquote memories, experiences, but not the person themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's a virtue in kind of moving on, right? Getting over. Of course, like you said, it's not the point of it, mm -hmm. but it should be somewhere in the horizon that at some point you do want to evolve, mm -hmm. right? But the timing is so distinct, right? Because I know people who haven't grieved the loss of their parents for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a thing that haunts them, but they've managed to convert that into a positive thing, mm -hmm. right? Where the lessons of their parents live on mm -hmm. in their deeds, and the reason why this can live on is because they hold them so close in their memory, yeah. right? So it's not a paralyzing kind of grief, but yeah. one that enables, right? So, but it's something that trails her for 20 years, you know? Yeah. But it's what has allowed her to flourish too. So it's really hard to tell, like, you know, where the question of the urgency to get over comes in. Anyway, well, we'll come back to the second part of the show. I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahma alongside Yvonne Fu where we are talking about grief in light of an upcoming conference organized by Help University, and it is entitled Let's Grief, and that is going to take place on the weekend of July 21st and 22nd. We'll be right back after this break. BFM 89.9, you're listening to me, Ahmad Fawad Rahman, alongside Yvonne Fu, and we are talking about an upcoming conference on existential humanistic psychology, on the weekend of July 21st and 22nd, the topic is Let's Grieve, Trauma, Loss and Growth. And in the first part of the show, we talked about the key themes of grieving, the key questions around it. But let's talk more about the conference in the second part of the show. Tell our listeners what, uh, what the highlights are what, or what personally you yourself are looking forward to. Well, let's look back a little at two years ago when this conference was first brought to Malaysia. So for me, it was always like, okay, if I can't go there, let's bring them here. So we brought a few speakers to Malaysia and opened up conversations on the topic of existence and lives given. And some of the feedback that I got from the participants are that, hey, you know, this is one of the kind of conference where you don't, there's not so much of academic stuff, not like they weren't, but they were not that much. And there's mm. really a lot of very fundamental questions that got asked. So I think one of the highlights I would probably look forward to in this conference is, again, some sort of exchange and conversations, questions that we all have on our mind. I think that's probably one of the things that people don't get to do a lot, is to ask naive questions such as, you know, the things that you just asked, you know, you know, what's grief, you know, how long do we grieve for? What are the kind of griefs out there? You know, what's the meaning of, and then some of the very naive questions that my clients ask me, what's the point of getting the relationship if we are going to lose it anyway? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to this kind of conversations. And then, of course, the highlights are that we do have some very, very esteemed speakers coming as well. One of them is actually a local therapist from Australia. If you have read Viktor Frankl's mm -hmm. book, A Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl has um, what do you call I think it's called the Viktor Frankl Institute of Vienna. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Dr. Paul McKillen is one of the members in, of the institute in Vienna and uh, he's a certified local therapist. So he's coming from Australia to talk about local therapy. We also have another highlight, which is uh, Dr. Scott Churchill. He was, um, well, the name of the award is very long. I can't quite remember the whole name, but some something along the line of the um, Outstanding Contribution Award from APA two years ago. Wow, cool. So he's going to be here and talking about the phenomenological side of, I think, loss mm. and grieving as well. Yep. 
So it's going to be an exchange between the East and the West because we also have a few right, speakers right. from our side as well. Cool, yep. cool. And how much is it? Um, can't quite remember, but I think the full price right now because we've just passed the normal price. Um, so it's like one ninety for students and two ninety for public. Okay, that's not so bad. And meals are included. Um, unfortunately, no. Oh, okay. Uh, we will have food trucks around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, this is an interesting question since you mentioned that this will be presented by therapists, right? Very notable therapists as well. Now, I like to think that most people grieve without therapy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then one wonders now that the therapy option is also there. What is the difference? Well, for me, a therapist is more like someone that could provide some sort of a space for me to reflect a little differently. A therapist is someone who, let's say, probably could give a different perspective sometimes. But in the journey of grieving, sometimes when things get really, really tough... I feel like therapy can be someone who provides some form of stability sometimes, Mm -hmm. some form of anchor. They usually don't have the answer. So when my client comes in and and throw all the questions at me, why, why life is that? I don't have the answer, but I think the fact that there's someone there to contain the suffering and to sit with us when we ask those very, very difficult questions, I think that does make a difference. Yeah, I think it does too, because more and more, it feels like there's a need for safe spaces to grieve because, like you say, the culture of moving on can be very toxic too, right? The culture of just get over it, the culture of like, why are you so weak, right? And I think not having that safe space where you can actually just lament or even sound pathetic right it's actually very valuable in that sense exactly and sometimes people feel like you know i've been talking so much to my family members and friends about you know the disease and who i've lost and i think they're getting sick of it this and that but you know when when people are grieving sometimes they do feel the need to talk about the person that they've lost and um it's surprising sometimes that what that safe space could do because I've got clients who came in and talk about her loss of, you know, someone who is very important and um, somehow she can't quite remember much about the person. But as we sat there and we talk about the person, you know, she's showing me the videos of this person and uh, suddenly a lot of memories came back and she was able to again recall a lot of things that they were going through and... Um, I think that safe space is someone who is there to be present as you're going through those very, very difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. It makes it a little less scary sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Know. I think so too. And I think that's also a, an inaccurate picture of grief that is often associated with a state of being debilitated or a state of being helpless. Because I think wanting to grieve is actually an activity. Right, you're making a choice to narrate mm-hmm. something, right? You're making a choice to reinterpret an experience. And that to me is a, is a reflection of a kind of agency. Mm-hmm. Insofar as therapy can offer not just a place where you can be cathartic, but mm-hmm. just to say like, well, how do I rewrite this story? Or how do I retell this story? Oh, yeah. right? In a way that is not fatalistic or in a way that's not defeatist. I think it's very a very good experience, right? Because... I mean, that's what a lot of art is. Some people write novels, some people, yeah. but not everybody has the time for that, right? But yeah. just being able to like, well, this is what happened, but there's also another way of telling that story, I think is, is an interesting option. 
that's true. And also it's a way that we can kind of look into the meaning of that relationship to the person as well. Because, well, when there's a death, it takes away the life of the person, but it doesn't end the relationship. Mm -hmm. So how do this person relate to the person whom they have lost in a different way? Yeah. How do you find that meaning from the last encounter? How do you, you know, kind of reconstruct your meaning? Because when, when we lose someone, sometimes it's not just the physical loss of the person, the identity that is associated with this person, mm-hmm. who you are, who you have been because of this person. And when this person is lost, sometimes it's every part of you that you touch I mean, with, with, that's associated with this person, it hurts and we kind of feel lost, groundless. That's one part of it. The other part of the meaning is also to do with death anxiety as well that gosh if i if if I could just lose this person like this and it's so scary and it's so painful, what else gonna happen after this? and you know, what yeah. if I lose another one? What yeah. if something else happened to some of some other of my loved ones that's that's a very, very scary notion you know that yeah. loss can be so painful. So, and these are the conversations that a lot of times we might find it very difficult to talk to people around us. Yeah. What's a healthy attitude to quote-unquote possession? You know, because a lot of this presumes that something was quote-unquote had, Mm. right? When the fact of the matter is, the fact that grieving is such a, a given part of your existence means that nothing was really properly had to begin with, right? That the exercise isn't actually letting go in healthy ways, right? So your question is... What's the healthy attitude towards dispossession or letting go? Mm. Um, Because my friends with children often signal this concern Mm -hmm. in that at some point when their children are like 9 or 10, Mm -hmm. they have to switch modes. Mm. They're like, at some point, I got to let go of these kids. And then they start talking about how it was more fun when they were just naive and disobedient. <laughs> you know, I think, that, I think it's not necessarily, maybe it's not as heavy as grieving, but I think it, it tells something of our attachments and sometimes oh, we yeah. hold on to them defensively. Right? Yeah. And a lot of difficulties that come with grieving is because we are holding on to something we never had, you know? Right. We, we never owned, rather. Right? right. And sometimes so much of rhetorics about grieving is about owning. She was mine, yeah. she's no longer mine. Yep. The my and mine is such yep. a common word, right? When, right. We, when we try to tell the story, you know. Right, yeah. right. When I, I wonder if, you know, on one hand, you don't want to be naive and say that there's no attachment at all. Yeah. Right? But on the other hand, you do want to acknowledge the fact that the reason why the relationship was so meaningful was that it was fought for in a way, or it was something that you, you clinged on, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, you know... It's not fashionable to say, but a lot of love is aggressive, right? A lot mm-hmm. of love is about like, it, it gets territorial. It mm-hmm. gets very, very deeply invested in, right? right? So how do you balance that between that deep investment and just sort of like acknowledging that so much is delicate, right? Right. So much is just that unbearable lightness, you know? <laughs> So how do you the negotiate unbearable, that? The unbearable lightness of being, and yeah. I guess in this case, I don't know, possession, owning. I Well... One thing that you mentioned about like parents having children moving on, um, this actually is a very real part of grieving as well. Even retirement, mm-hmm. uh, moving from one period to another period. It's not so much of us 
possessing or having something, I think attachment is something that we sometimes talk about it like, uh, you know, being clingy, being... We look at it sometimes, uh, I don't know how you know it sounds to you, but sometimes people look at it like it's something that's, that you're not independent enough. You know? But but I think attachment is something that's so human. We, you know, well, you and I, we are all very relational. If you look at people around us, most of the issues that we have is really about our relationship. Yep. Yep. So first of all, is I don't think you know we, we have to demonize uh, attachment, uh, just maybe how we attach to each other. So one thing about moving on and how to say this transition and grieving is that sometimes we feel that there's discontinuity. Mm-hmm. Like if someone in my life, I lost someone in my life right now kind of feel like, okay, who am I right now? You know, what's next? No, I feel a little cut off from my maybe previous life where I still had this person, for example. So one of the recent things I was looking into is about nostalgic reverie, how Mm. sometimes, you know, just a familiar song, um, a scent would just kind of make us travel back in time. So these kind of moments actually help us to feel a sense of continuity in our life that the relationship now has ended physically, but there's maybe a different way of relating to this person, either it's in our imagination or like in your example with our children, a different way of relating to our children. But I do think that there's a lot of deeper things to talk about in this grieving as well. Surely part of this grief actually is healthy. I mean, mm-hmm. we it's expected. But like you say, maybe sometimes it becomes too much. And that's where I think at the core of it, why do you want to, quote unquote, attach or cling on to something? Um, Sometimes feels very scary to be groundless, to not attach to anything at all, to feel like, you know, you're just kind of hanging in the middle of nothingness, you know. So whether it's religion or people, pets, relationship, it really provides us with a sense of stability, groundedness. And not to mention, to quote your example, if the children is moving on, if I'm retiring, losses, that also kind of signifies that all things in this life is really finite. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's a lot of underlying meaning to that loss, all this existential meaning that's kind of maybe sometimes playing at the back of people's mind, but we don't really attend to it. Yeah. So, which brings me back to your question. I don't think it's a matter of possessing or, you know, owning. Is that I think wanting to feel a sense of stability, the groundedness by getting attached to something, by resisting sometimes to change yeah. is not that uncommon. It's not something right. that's abnormal. Yeah, yeah. On that point too, when you talk about the givenness of attachment, the givenness of having relationships, mourning too need not be seen as this isolated process, you know. I think that's why a lot of traditional rituals occur mm-hmm. around mourning, right? Oh, yeah. Around grieving. Even a eulogy at a funeral, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes there could even be laughter. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you could have you could share an anecdote about how fondly you remember somebody, right? And I think that's very, very important that we try to know or to keep in mind that we don't have to do it alone. And maybe I, I guess this relates back to your insights on where therapy helps, right? Yeah. Uh, that 
it doesn't stay encapsulated in your mind. You know, that's quite a bad place to be when you're just grieving alone, right? Mm-hmm. But trying to find different ways in which you know that other people too are on the same boat, they've been on the same boat before. Mm-hmm. I think that helps a lot just for perspective, but also to know that it doesn't have to be a journey you make alone. That's true. And a lot of times people who are grieving, they sometimes want to be alone because when we talk about givens in life, isolation is one of it. We feel isolated anyway in a lot of our own, especially in our own suffering. And I think that's some of the most isolated feeling. Um, No matter how close our experiences are, I can't fully understand how you suffer and vice versa. But I think, you know, despite that, you know, in the therapy sessions, we sometimes extensional therapies to talk about going to the abyss with the client. And it is true that the abyss that sometimes is where you find the light out. And What does that so, mean exactly, going into the abyss? I think what it really is saying is that, well, some of these things that the client will be talking about are really, really difficult stuff. And to have another person to talk to about these things is not easy because mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. talking about things that would potentially evoke similar anxiety and fear in the yeah. service. I have actually been invoked. I have been through sessions where the clients were just talking about the grief and the loss and I came out and was just crying on the way home yeah. because it's so difficult. And a lot of times, what would be the easiest way to deal with it is that, hey, let's do something, you know, let's, you know, have an activity, you know, do some journals or whatever. I mean, nothing wrong with those things, right, but... Right. But what's more difficult is actually to stay there mm. and in those difficult places yeah. because one of the psychodynamic therapists says that you can't really leave a place without first being there. Right. So right. let's go to the emotions there, even though it's difficult, and kind of stay with your client there. And then maybe after that we can come out of that abyss and hopefully yeah. find a way. I'm going to read you a quote from Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. You might already know this, but yeah. I, like, I like this a lot. Uh, it says, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Oh, wow. What yeah. comes to mind to you? Something by Carlo Gibran, actually, that um, I can't recall the whole quote right now, but how happiness and sadness are really two sides of things, you know. The very thing that gives you happiness also gives you sadness right now. Mm-hmm that comes to my mind yeah. and um, probably the very reason that I grieve so much for that very person or things that I lost is because I've treasured it so much and it's, and it's a kind of a blessing and that's why yeah. I like the quote it says that in a way when you talk about staying in that abyss yeah, one way of thinking about it is that you're lucky to have someone you miss that dearly you know I, I know mm. it's, it's, it doesn't sound quite mm. as neat, right? Because the abyss is a messy place. It, it tears you apart, right? But uh, <laughs> I think it's it's a testament to the honesty of love, in a way. Right? That's true. That's true. Um, when, when a person is in that place, really a lot of these quotes and whatsoever doesn't make quite sense <laughs> to the person, right? right and, of course, of course. And when we are in there, you just go like, I just want to get out of this place as soon as possible. Um, but, you know, when my client told me that I feel crushed I feel like I've my life has been deconstructed I also say that you know when something is deconstructed there's also a place where we can reconstruct something else mm-hmm. out of it as well yeah. and that's where I think maybe therapists or therapy could do 
Yeah. I like that point about how sadness and happiness are actually more closely related than we think, you know. There's, there's also another insight where love and hate has that same sort of relationship <laughs> as well. Like you can't hate someone unless you've somehow identified with that person. Or, mm. um, and not all hates work like that, you know. Mm. But sometimes when there's so much intensity, yeah. there's so much investment to hate, you yeah. wonder if there's already like some grounded attachment there <laughs> for that to happen, you know. I mean, I don't mean like the passing kind of feeble resentments, but yeah. the ones that you animate in your mind all the time or, you know. And sometimes this happens too after breakups, obviously. But of course, in mourning as well, when you go, well, how did I end up here? You know, like, why was it that I allowed myself to be so vulnerable yeah. that I have to do all this work of... And grieving is a lot of work, right? All, the, all this work, right? Yeah. Well... One one of one of the things I I really like about, well, I'm a movie buff, so I watch movies here and there. And one of the latest movies that I watch, The Arrival, mm-hmm. it's really beautiful it's because great, great it's film. really really beautiful movie. And the ending and knowing that okay, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> knowing that if she were to continue the relationship with this man, she's gonna end up grieving for the loss of her daughter and a marriage. And yet she continued to be with this man. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, a lot of my clients will ask, why? why? Why bother? I don't know. There's and this, this quote that I probably might end with this quote, this poem. It says, a dewdrop world. This is but a dewdrop world. And yet, and yet, um, everything is transient, is impermanent. It's like a dewdrop, you know. And so beautiful, so fragile, it's like at the tip of the leaf and before we know it, it will end. And yet that's where all the questions and the wonder lies. Yeah. And yeah. what do you want to do about it? Yeah. The message I get from that is that, you know, there's a lot of suffering in life, but there's also a lot of happiness too. You know, there's a lot of, those two things are very close, right? It's very hard to imagine life where those two things are not at the same time almost, right? Because you don't always have it your way, basically. And mm. you, you manage despite that, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's the beautiful decision in that film, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, life and death, they're, they're twins, right? Yeah, they're intertwined. Yeah. yeah. So that decision that she made, again, spoiler alert, is affirming that, you know, and that, that takes a lot of courage too. Oh, yeah. So any concluding thoughts or concluding messages about the conference to our listeners if they really want to think about some of the things we talk about well, this conference is the place to go. Well, I think the conference is something that possibly like academicians, therapists might be interested in, but also maybe in general, people who are interested in just listening to some of the thoughts, ideas, the discussions about grief in general, uh, probably that's something that they would be interested in coming and you know, attending as well. Because mm-hmm. I think when we talk about existence, it's not something that's, and we talk about existential humanistic psychology, we talk a lot about existence and givens in life and life and death. And these are things that I think everyone, it involves every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. So we're having six keynotes, a number of workshops and some side activities as well. So yeah, if you're interested, you can just pop by, you know, pop over and Wonderful. experience for yourself <laughs> wonderful and just to repeat it is the international conference on existential humanistic psychology the topic is let's grieve trauma loss and growth 
It will be held on the weekend of the 21st and 22nd of July at Help University. Thanks again, Yvonne, for sharing your thoughts and for telling us about this conference. And hopefully we can have you on the show again. Now, this Facebook group you mentioned, now how can people find that on Facebook? What is it called? What do they type? Um, you just have to type the uh, www.facebook.com slash M-Y-E-H-P. Okay, uh, M-Y-E-H-P. stands for Malaysian Existential Humanistic Psychology, M-Y-E-H-P, and okay. you'll be able to find us. So it's not exclusive or anything, right? You can just join no, the group. All right, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so we'll be sharing some article stuff on existential related, you know. Yeah. And it's really a refreshing take than, I guess, the standard CBT thing. I mean, I'm not, you know, CBT has a lot of virtues, but I think having this other discourse that focuses on the human, I think, is a good perspective to include as well when we think about emotional health. All right, uh, you can also email the show, bfmnightschool.gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook as well. Type the name of the show on the search space. Download our app as well, the Apple App Store. Once again, the guest today was uh, Yvonne Fu, I'm Ahmad Fa'arahma and this is Night School on BFM 89.9 The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.